Hi, this is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, and by me, Pastor Dan, with the help of my daughter, Bethany. As we gather each week in this virtual church classroom, our goal is knowing the heart and mind of our God with all of our hearts and minds. In other words, to be in Him and Him in us. This is our goal. This is our desire. We hope that as you experience this, it doesn't become the only thing you do to connect with God through the church. This is meant as a service to those who need more or who find it difficult to make it to the different classes that are offered at churches. That's a virtual church classroom. Our hope is nevertheless that you will be involved in a church somewhere. Don't let this be your only way of experiencing the family of God. Our psalm reading today is Psalm 28, Psalm 28 of David. To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who have gone down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harbor malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done, and bring back upon them what they deserve. Since they show no regard for the works of the Lord, and what his hands have done, he will tear them down, and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. I am helped my heart leaps for joy. I will give thanks to him in song. The Lord is the strength of his people, the fortress of salvation, his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. to me my rock lest if you be silent to me I become like those who go down to the pit hear the voice of my plea for mercy when I cry to you for help when I Almighty God, today we come as always looking for your heart and mind in the scripture. We are looking for you to be our strength and our shield against deceit and, and uh, subterfuge. You know, we're looking to you as we study the word to make us whole and complete in our knowledge of you. 
We ask God that you defend us against the distractions of the enemy so that we might truly be engaged with you with all of our hearts and minds. I pray for all those who listen today that they might experience blessing in this offering as well as in all of their lives so that the word becomes life for them. Amen. Okay, Bethany, we are now at uh, chapter 13 of Revelation, and as if it hasn't been juicy enough, it's really interesting now because we have to do some more skillful interpretation. So are you ready to dig into that? Ready. All right. I thought maybe this time we would open by just reading the whole chapter. Okay. And then we'll go back to the top and we'll see what we get. So you want to read it for us? Sure. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, 
so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Okay. That has so much stuff mm -hmm. that best thing we can do is go back to the top and we'll go as far as we can with the time we have and then finish next week if we have to because there's a lot here and it's all very interesting um so let's just start at the top remember that in chapter 10 we had the really big guy with the little bitty book mm -hmm. and then we had in chapter 11 the temple and the two witnesses and then in chapter 12 we had the woman the man child and the dragon mm -hmm. and we decided that the woman was israel that the man child was jesus and that the dragon was satan so now in chapter 13 we have the two beasts mm -hmm. okay and the two beasts are a beast out of the sea and a beast out of the earth right Mm -hmm. So, as I look at what it says at the top of the page, then, it's, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads on its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. I saw that the beast was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. Okay. So who's the dragon? That's Satan. Mm -hmm. The beast is this this uh, creature with the seven heads and ten horns that comes up out of the sea. Mm -hmm. Now, I had to do some homework to get ready for this cause, because there's certain things you pick up that are easy to take as you read it literally, but there are other things that are not so easy. And... So one of the things that we ask is, is what kind of weird creature is this? I mean, what is he describing? Um, and, you know, for example, when we were looking at the four living creatures, we decided that they could have been wearing armor or mail or something like that. And in the uh, situation up there in the temple, right there in the temple, I mean, the throne room of God, it's sort of a uh, uh, hyperly, intensely, you know, experience thing for john so that he saw eyes but really you know sequins would look like that mm -hmm. under the right circumstance so we kind of look at it that way but here's an interesting observation number one is the use of the term beast the use of the term beast describes a dangerous creature mm -hmm. a something hostile monstrous. creature something that's coming after you it's mm -hmm. something that wants to kill you and eat you basically Whereas the four living creatures, the word is describing uh, beings mm -hmm. that are not hostile and not dangerous, at least to, to us. And the reason I say that is because if you read the commentary, what you find out is, is that the root words in the original language stem from different meanings. Mm -hmm. So the beast is a creature that is dangerous mm -hmm. and destructive and hurtful. So we use the word beast to describe him as as a a beastly, awful person, basically. 
and the beast out of the sea is an interesting observation. Now, none of this stuff that I'm going to share with you is universally agreed upon. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't keep studying Revelation over and over again for years. But my fundamental premise has always been that we have a problem in Revelation among most Christians because we like the lore of Re Revelation. We like we like some of the stuff that that makes us, you know. Well, it's like the it's like the preacher who's constantly being bothered by certain people in the church who always want him to preach revelations because they want to hear somebody scare him to death, telling them about how the next Antichrist scare everybody is. else to death. Yeah, right. And and so you know, I've 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 probably in poor taste railed against that mindset for a long time. But what I really want to say is is that that. It is good to study this book and to try to anticipate what it's saying about our future. That's all wise and everything, but people like to stick on the more sensational parts. And they don't look at things in their right context, and mm -hmm. they don't take things in the tenses that they're written in and so forth. So when we look at this beast, what we have to understand is that there's significance to everything you see. And the fact that the one beast comes from the earth and the one beast comes from the sea is significant. And there are a lot of ways you can interpret that, but the thing that, that is most prevalent among most of the commentaries <coughs> is that whenever something comes from the sea, it's implying that it came from somewhere else. And everything we're reading up to this point is set in Jerusalem and is Israel. Up to this point, we've been hearing about the woman Israel. We've been hearing about the, the fate of Jerusalem with the earthquakes and all this kind of stuff and how the remnant of, uh, you know, converted Jews has run for cover in the, the Jordanian wilderness. And, and so if everything appears to be as it, well, if everything is as it appears to be, then what we're seeing is is that this beast that comes out of the sea is not a native of the land. It's, mm -hmm. it's somebody who's coming from somewhere else. Whereas the one who comes out of the earth is coming from there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so that that's the first thing that we can kind of interpret. Um, and then we, we have to deal with the fact that this thing has ten heads, or t excuse me, ten horns and seven heads. Uh, obviously, some of the heads have more than one horn on them. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I both have read the Left Behind series back when they were popular, and their interpretation that is very common is, is that this coming world leader will set up like ten regions or ten kingdoms or something like that. But the the theory that I'm going with, the one that I particularly like, is a statement about... Uh, the nations or kingdoms of the Bible. And to get that understanding, first we have to recognize that the term used to describe the crowns is a term for a diadem or a kingly authoritarian crown. Mm -hmm. Because in the Bible, you often hear references to crowns, but some crowns are the victor's crowns, like the laurel wreath that you give somebody who's won a contest or something. Mm -hmm. These are crowns. These are kingdoms. And <clears throat> the theory that I've heard that I particularly like is that the seven kingdoms that are represented are, in fact seven kingdoms that have already appeared in the Bible. 
and what? Seven or ten? Well, ten all total, but okay. Um, because <clears throat> it says because ten there's crowns. ten crowns, but the fact that that at least three of them have more than one crown mm -hmm. suggests that they are uh, they stem from the same root. Um, and we'll see if we can make sense out of that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, so do you think that the description of the animals has anything to do with it? Because certain animals get linked to a certain... Yeah. Um, cultures, dynasties, kingdom. you know? The fact that it has a leopard... Like a leopard sounds... Like, I hear leopard and I think Arabian... Like, more, you know, exotic... Mm -hmm. just but like a bear kind of makes you think of a certain a certain type well of course some people think bear is, is referring to to russia well that's the first thing that came to my mind too culturally but you know i just i wonder if that has any well so here's here's an interesting observation and in the uh book of daniel um there is a certain part of Daniel that is prophetic, of course, and and some of it's it's uh, some of it is a narrative, and some of it's prophetic. And the prophetic part comes from actually Gabriel, not Daniel. <clears throat> but here's what's interesting is is he describes the kingdom of Babylon as in in Daniel seven as a winged lion. He describes the kingdom of Persia as a bear. And uh, he describes the kingdom of Greece as a leopard. Man, I'm good. Just and then, kidding. Uh, Just kidding. And then he describes <laughs> Rome <coughs> as the terrible beast. Hmm. And what's interesting is, is Rome actually has two uh, uh, sort of emergences in the in the biblical historical. Uh, uh, record because you have the Rome that appeared around 68 BC and went on you know well past the New Testament era or into the New Testament era but there's also an indication in in Revelation and Daniel that Rome reemerges and a lot of people think you know like European Union that kind of thing mm -hmm. and so Rome would be one of these two-horned heads okay so I'm I'm pretty into this imagery the animal thing because if if that comes straight from Daniel, which I would I had the wrong countries, but I was on the money. <laughs> and that's not why I'm saying this again. It's not about me. John would have known Daniel. Right. And this might to me this seems like it would be a case of it sounds like symbolism to us, and it is, but he's writing. he was writing to his contemporaries right. who also would have known Daniel. So maybe what he, this beast he was seeing, he was like, whoa, this guy has, like, insignia, regalia, whatever that is indicating that he's Persian, that he's Roman, that he's Greek, that, like, all of these kingdoms that have historically not been friendly to israel right right and so so i just think that's interesting because like i said i think we read a lot of symbolism into it and i think there is symbolism but 
Well, and he might have just been saying, "Guys, this is just like Gabe said back right exactly a while back." And and the fact that some of the 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 heads have more than one horn, you know, these are indications of 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 nations. Remember that we're we're taking the approach that the heads and the crowns in particular represent nations of the Bible or mm-hmm. or kingdoms of the Bible. So. So we're only talking about kingdoms of the Bible. And of those kingdoms, there have been certain divisions. For example, uh, Greece uh, and Macedonia divided. So, so they were under one, uh, you know, Alexander the Great, they were one kingdom. Mm-hmm. But after him, they split. Mm-hmm. And Israel and the biblical narrative deals with both Macedonia and Greece. So uh, same thing with uh, Asia Minor and Thrace. And so it's interesting because there there seems to be a way that you can tie all of these biblical kingdoms together mm-hmm. with the number of heads and horns, mm-hmm. except one, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the kingdoms here so let's see we got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten we have iran afghanistan egypt iraq turkey lebanon syria jordan pakistan and israel these are all nations that existed albeit under different names Mm -hmm. in the past in the biblical narrative and Mm -hmm. they have re-emerged Okay, except for one, Assyria. (laughs) Assyria doesn't exist, and yet it was once upon a time in existence. And if you look at the number of horns and heads, there's actually 11, because an 11th emerges. Okay, but we kind of have to get to that. So, basically, there are seven... Uh, I like my my uh, my particular commentary says seven super kingdoms, which is cool. <laughs> you know, the super kingdom of Egypt, like Wakanda. Yeah, super kingdom of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the second emergence of Rome. Mm-hmm. And these are kingdoms that uh, aren't known by the same names in some cases. But Assyria again is the only one that that didn't come back yet and assyria would have been located somewhere in a region between syria the current nation of syria and the current nation of iraq so assyria we're not talking about syria assyria it makes sense that they're nearby each other yeah so so it's just interesting because this might suggest then that that this emerging world leader who comes from far away who's not a native of the land, may very well come from Assyria. And this coming world leader, and, and I know folks that you've been steeped in the culture, many of you, and so you want to call him the Antichrist, but I think it's important to recognize that we don't see that term in Revelation. Um, and where that term is used is in, in one of John's epistles. And what it's really describing is that this particular 
world leader is somebody who is going to seem like Christ. So it feels like they're an antichrist. If we use the word antichrist, it suggests that we're talking about somebody who's against Christ, that Mm -hmm. they're Mm antichrist. But that's not really what the Bible means. The Bible means that this is going to be the ultimate false Christ. Yeah. You know, and Jesus warned us. I've always assumed that the problem of this guy isn't that he's going to be an antichrist. It's that he's going to be really charismatic, Mm -hmm. which is scarier. Yeah, and people are going to believe he's Christ. They're going to believe he's the because, Messiah. Yeah. And Which is way scarier than him being anti. Yeah. And so, going back to our, our uh, reading, we have, let's see. So, he, the beast was, uh, in chapter 3, or verse 3, it says of chapter 13, one of the heads appeared to be fatally wounded. But its fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. So one of these heads has what looks like a fatal wound. And it would appear that this fatal wound was sufficient to convince people that he was actually dead, but somehow he didn't die. Mm -hmm. And so one of these coming, uh, one of these, these heads and one of these kingdoms that's represented represents this wounded leader and again that doesn't fit with what we already know about the pre-existing con- the kingdoms of the bible we don't have and we don't have a character like that in the kingdoms of the bible that we know exists now in other words it's it's but it fits for assyria it fits for because assyria doesn't appear to exist Right. And if Assyria suddenly made a major comeback. And if it were to emerge on the world scene again, and actually I can see that happening because we have this long, protracted, awful war in Syria. Mm-hmm. And Syria is divided by mm-hmm. this civil war. And, and you know, should the biblical prophecy we haven't gotten to yet come true that suggests that Damascus is going to be wiped out completely, which is a remarkable prophecy in that Damascus is the oldest continuously occupied. No, she's shaking her head. No, go ahead. I just, I was sitting here thinking that, gosh, that'd be crazy. Damascus is the oldest continually occupied city. Mm-hmm. No, you're correct. In history. Yes. And one that's day. That's why I was sitting here thinking that's insane. And one day it's not going to exist yeah. anymore. And, you know, we imagine that being probably because of a nuclear bomb. Yeah. I suppose it could be from one of these objects that fell from the sky. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But in this event, all of a sudden you have a city that was the capital city, first city of Syria that is now displaced. And all of a sudden you've got this opening for an emerging new border. You know, it's like after the Soviet Union fell, all of a sudden borders for the old countries that used to exist are being drawn. And then there's this grab for for power and property Mm -hmm. so that the borders aren't exactly as they were before the Soviet Union. Because people say, hey, you know, if we move right now, we get more territory. And 
and they try to uh, they try to encircle areas that they have particular need of or where they have a particular people group that they want to embrace or, want, or who who wish to be embraced you know so so this whole thing about borders is really amazing when you think about it because there's nothing that's changed more in my lifetime uh, or more significantly than the names of countries on my globe and the borders of those countries because yeah. the the countries I grew up with uh, when I was taking eighth grade social studies, aren't some of them don't exist anymore, you know, and uh, and many of them have different borders now, and and they've changed names a couple of times. So, so this whole idea that Assyria is gone and it's never coming back is is pretty ridiculous because there's nothing saying it can't come back. In mm -hmm. fact, um, this is anecdotal, but I heard a guy say uh, that that in his public speaking tours he's run into a number of people who are descended from Assyrian uh, blood and that their national uh, sort of collective heart is that they would return to their nation someday kind of like Israel returned mm -hmm. you know that they would have their own homeland again and it would be Assyria so there's still an Assyrian people out there who wish to be back in Assyria but but without overstating that what we're what we're seeing then in this creature is that same thing we were talking about last uh, week where we're seeing the past and the present and the future all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Once again, we're seeing past, present, and future all in the same image. And it suggests that this coming world leader is probably the one that's wounded. And that leads us to... Uh, the what comes next for us here in this imagery that uh uh people were amazed and they followed this particular beast because this beast was thought to be dead and rose again i don't know does that sound like someone else um it's kind of interesting because uh i'm trying to take this in the order it's written but but i can't help noticing that when you read the whole chapter we saw this beast Remember, beast is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. We saw this beast doing some of the things that we know God has done, like mm -hmm. fire coming from down from up a high down into the earth. We we see uh, the apparent resurrection of the dead and so forth. So it's kind of interesting because this beast who who's bad is is doing things, um, you know. And people are going, who else? You know, is there anybody else that could do what this guy does? This is obviously the most powerful being on earth. And so people are just enamored with them. And don't forget everything they've been through up to this mm -hmm. point. They're, oh, yeah, they'd be desperate for they're someone. They're looking for a leader. You know, the world has been devastated. Mm -hmm. And at this point, they're looking for a leader. And and uh, what's and they really... Had, like they had just fallen down worshiping because of seeing the witnesses oh, yeah. resurrected. So they would also have been looking for somebody who seemed like Christ at that point. Well, so they were terrified because these two guys were resurrected and ascended to heaven. And then, the, and then now they look at him and they go, oh, well, who's any? Does this not remind you of when Moses turns his staff into a snake and then the other uh, court magicians make their staves into snakes? Well, watch this. <laughs> yeah. You know. And so... A uh, friendly reminder that his snake devours their snakes. That's right. But here's... So here's the... Uh, anti their I almost dragons. said it myself. The, the, the guy, this beast, 
is uh, thought to be more powerful than those guys because he looks like he's one up them. You know, mm -hmm. he's, well, look, I was dead and I'm like alive. You know, it's, it's not, you know, it does happen. So. Uh, and they were just, they were primed for it is what I'm getting at. And then verse 6 tells us that he loves to speak blasphemy and he loves to, uh, he likes to, to uh, brag and uh, he likes to uh, blaspheme against God and, and uh, he, he's, he would be the one that is most likely going to orchestrate the uh, abomination of desolation, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the total depravity brought into the temple, so to speak. And it's interesting because he's allowed to do this for 42 months. And if you do the math, we're talking about that great tribulation period again. So everything we've read after the witnesses is an indication that this is now the beginning of the second uh, half of the tribulation, the great tribulation. And uh, in verse 7, uh, or verse 6, it says that uh, he blasphemes uh, God's name and dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. Uh, this is an interesting illusion. And I, I know I'm really going out on a limb here. But why would he blaspheme those who dwell in heaven? Could it be because he's talking about this significant group of human population that disappeared? <laughs> Could it be he's taking the time to blaspheme them and, uh, you know, sort of say, I know, I know. It all started when all those people disappeared and then all this other bad stuff happened. Well, you know, good riddance to them. You know, well, and possibly offering an explanation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because it's, it's interesting that he bothers to mention that he's going to blaspheme those in heaven. What's up with that? Mm -hmm. You know, isn't it enough to blaspheme against God? Well, he says that and then he goes on to say that he's given power against the saints and he's going to make war against the saints. So yep. he's, he's just ticking off each box of whoever's left too. Yeah, because there's obviously going to be a whole number of believers that emerge as a result of witnessing this departure and so forth. And, and he's basically going to wage war on them. And he was given authority over every tribe, every language, so he becomes the world leader. And those who live in the earth will worship well, I think it kind of is giving you an explanation for why everybody else that's left is going to worship him. Because it's saying he's going to blaspheme everybody in heaven. Mm -hmm. He's going to make war against the saints that are left. And everybody else is going to be like, no, we like this guy. He's great. And their names aren't going to, like, they, I don't know a better way to say it, but from this point on, they are screwed. Well, it says in verse sounds 8. sounds terrible, I know, but like... All who live on earth will worship it, the beast, and everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slaughtered, which is Jesus. So he's basically uh, the only way you get, you know, you get out of this. Well, and, and yeah, like... 
But remember, we were talking a couple of weeks ago that basically God's protection of the church went with the church. Yeah. So these are saints, which means they're the church too. But they're well, they're not the church, but they're they're saved. Meaning that's what saints are. You know, a saint is saved. But Satan is guaranteed. Ah, a saint is guaranteed heaven. But there's no guarantee they aren't going to be martyred. But they're going to be in trouble, yeah. They've got bad days ahead of them. And I think this makes sense, though, because I always kind of imagine, like I said, I imagine that this coming world leader would be very charismatic mm-hmm. and, like, silver-tongued. So we read this as him blaspheming because we have the inside scoop. But I don't know that it's going to come across that way. I think he's just going to have an explanation for everything. Sure. He's slick. Yeah, he's a silver tongue. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's going to make you believe. Yeah. And so he's going to have an explanation for where all those people disappeared. And it's not going to be what it actually was. And he's going to have a very good reason to everybody for warring against anybody who is a saint, has been saved. And everybody else is going to fall in line with him because he is slick. And I think that you're just getting that right here. We know it's bad, but I don't think they're going to. So They're going to say, wow, this guy. In this summary, is the guy we've been waiting for. The summary of verse 8 through 10 is basically this. He's saying, look, you're going to find yourself in a position where you have to worship this guy. Mm-hmm. And everybody whose name's not written in the book of life will be worshiping this guy. So listen, because if you're taken captive or if you're killed or anything terrible happens to you, it happens. Mm-hmm. It, this, is going, this calls for endurance. So he's basically saying at this point in time, you're just going to have to take whatever comes your way because... Because if you're not worshiping him, you're against him. And right. It's going to end badly for you. So we go back to but the very... But not bad be- for long. We, well, we go back to the very beginning of the book where we see the altar and from beneath the altar are emerging the tribulation saints. Mm-hmm. So all, these, all this death and dying, all this mm-hmm. torture, mm-hmm. all this resistance to the beast lands them at the altar and they're crying out that their blood would be justified and you know so yeah safely under the altar yeah and the altar that picture of being under the altar that's meant to give the image of safety that's the mm-hmm. idea that, that uh you know and that also is it is a, is an emblem because it, the altar is place where sacrifices are made they're under the mm-hmm. altar that means that they are covered by the sacrifice mm-hmm. and the sacrifice is jesus so the lamb that was slaughtered on the altar, that's where they're coming out from underneath, which means that they're covered, they're protected, and God doesn't see them, God sees their sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful image mm-hmm. in, a, in a biblical sense. So uh, let's see, how are we doing on time? Well, we can go a little further here. Um, now, verse 11 says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. But it spoke like a dragon. <clears throat> yeah, I love that line. It looked innocent, but when it opened its mouth. Yeah. I love that. And so basically, it looks like Jesus. It looks good and pure and yeah. 
But its voice comes from Satan. Yeah. And Which so would be real creepy. this would be like the false prophet. Yeah. And so we now have what some people call this the the Satan or the uh, hell's trinity. <laughs> I was going to say, this is like the evil John the Baptist. It's, it's either so it evil John like... the Baptist or could be, you know, but you basically have then, you have uh, Satan, the dragon, who in effect is setting himself up like the father in heaven. Go figure. Mm-hmm. And then you have the beast. Yeah. And then you have the messenger, the lamb. The second beast. But they're all empowered mm-hmm. and speak with the voice of the dragon mm-hmm. so they're just bad they're really bad spooky and um <coughs> verse 12 says it exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Now, we keep getting that brought back in front of us. So he's sort of like, um, uh, he's, he's like the prime minister. You know, he's like the, 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 the. Press secretary. Yeah, he's, he's oh, that you was know, mean. I'm sorry. he acts on behalf of the beast. And directs people to worship the beast. And this is interesting that it goes out of its way to tell us he has the fatal wound. So when we look at the beast, we have to, whoever this beast is, he's going to have an injury. He's going to have an injury you can't miss. And that's what it's saying is you can't miss that he has this near fatal wound. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've all seen people who had come back from horrific injuries and their faces are deformed, their bodies are, are malformed in some way because of these horrific injuries, and yet they're still living. And in fact, many of them are very charismatic people, you know, because they've learned to live in a way that makes them an inspiration to the rest of us. So, so you know, the fact that this wound is being mentioned to us, verse 13 says, it performs great signs. That's the second, the, 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 this third person of the satanic trinity performs miraculous signs and causes fire to come down from heaven to the earth in front of the people. Sort of like the fire that came down and consumed the priests of Baal. Very interesting. Verse 14 says, It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword. There it is again. Mm -hmm. And yet live. That wound is, it keeps coming up. And what's really interesting is, is that they're going to make this image. And, and it's going to be a representation of the beast. Uh, this is like the ultimate idol. And uh, what's really amazing is, is that... Uh, it was permitted to give breath. So this, this false prophet, uh, this, this John the Baptist type character, a satanic version, is, uh, is going to breathe life into this image. Mm-hmm. And then the beast could speak through and cause uh, it to punish people who don't worship it. So basically this image is going to have his voice and his power. Whether he's there or not, I mean, this is this is like 
like old school Star Trek stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and we know that the world has been greatly reduced, but it'd be pretty convenient to have two of you. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like a clone. Yeah. And then it says in that verse... You, could, you know, yeah, that'd be yeah. real weird. In verse 16, it says, and then it makes everyone, small or great, rich or poor, free or slave, receive a mark on the right hand or on its forehead. So that no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark and the beast's name or the number of its name. Okay, well, let's, this is, these are the last part's the trickiest by far. Mm-hmm. But the mark, it seems like a mark especially in the context of this constant reminder that he's got this wound, which is a mark on his body Mm -hmm. that you can't miss. It seems more reasonable to think that out of loyalty to him, people would take a mark that at least represents that. Uh, So does that mean that whatever his markings are, they're on his right hand or his forehead? Yeah. Because it would be kind of weird if he was, you know, something like he was missing a leg or something. How do you do, you know? Well, can you imagine, for example, that if someone took a swipe at him with a sword, let's say, slashed him across his face, and it went down to his arm because he tried to protect... You know, what does everybody Mm -hmm. do when when they feel threatened? They put their arms up. So what if he's got this slash mark on his face and down his arm? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what if people get like tattoos or something to represent that? Did you know that in in the Jewish law, the Orthodox Jews, it's considered forbidden to mark your body. They don't put tattoos on their bodies or anything. Mm-hmm. And you know that's very interesting. So what if it turns out that the only way you can buy or sell is if you're wearing that mark? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is there's a lot in our popular culture about RFID tags, uh, microchipping, credit cards, all of this stuff. But, but remember what it says in the passage. It says, uh, it says that um, small or great, rich or poor, free or slave, receive the mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark the beast's name or the number of its name. The mark is his name and his number. So your credit card number is not what this is referring to. The microchip that you put in your dog is not what this is referring yeah. to. It's referring to his... identifier n- for you. It's yeah. about, this is about him. So this is where you identify yourself with him. Okay. In him. And yeah, with him and in him. I heard a sermon about that today. I know. It's weird. And and uh, you know, and then he and then I think and this is really just the Bible telling us the the voice of God telling us in no uncertain terms. Verse eighteen. This calls for wisdom. <laughs> this calls for wisdom. He's saying, let n- let one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. So what is this mark? 
it points to that person, not your identity. Mm -hmm. This has nothing to do with your identity. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with his identity. So don't be afraid of these technologies and things that bring convenience to the marketplace and that kind of thing because it's probably nothing about that. Well, and if this is a number, a number that is at all similar to like a few weeks ago when we were looking at Daniel and the number that someone had calculated mm-hmm. to where like it, from that day, yes, it comes out and it fits exactly with everything else in the Bible. So if this is a number like that, then he, I think which I would say it probably could be, then the 666, it says it calls for wisdom. Someone with insight is going to calculate this number. So this number may not be how we've been interpreting it. It may be pointing the direction for, like, when he's going to show up. Like, you know what I mean? Or, like... Yeah. And and we may uh, not be able to figure that out right this second. Well... (laughs) So this six 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 thing, because the last thing it says is that the number is six six six, which is just short of perfect numbers. Uh yeah. Huh. And what does it say to us in that passage? It's the number of a man. Right. It says it is a, it is man's number. Man's number is just short of, of perfect. perfect. Weird. So it might not have anything to do with, you know, Damien, the little devil child from the <laughs> 70s who's got the 666 on his head. Might not have any. And here's another thing. Just for the sake of, I've, this, is, this is meant to titillate the listener because. That word's so fun. I know it is. And yet it explains exactly what my intention is. Because. Hebrew and Greek, which are the primary languages of the Bible, have unique qualities that only those two languages have. Every letter, every word has a numeric value. Yes. So, and, and believe me, this is way outside of my field of expertise. I don't know how to do this. But I can tell you that you can find the numeric value of virtually everything that's written in the Bible. And that these numeric values tell you things. Mm -hmm. And he says in that last verse, this requires wisdom and careful calculation Mm -hmm. in order for you to make sense of it. And it's the mark of a man. And the mark is 666. Mm -hmm. So he's telling you this is secret code. But you can figure this out pretty amazing it is amazing you know uh so this this has been in in some respects a really tough chapter because it is a uh uh, mind bender mind bender and we didn't answer all the questions that it probably brings up but we did i think take it at face value Mm -hmm. and read what it says which Mm -hmm. has been our goal from the beginning so next week next time we record We'll hit chapter 14 and... It We're back to the 144,000. That's right. It's been a while. Yeah. And those I guys have been we'll busy. I don't think we'll get through that whole chapter. No. But those guys have been busy. Yes, they have. So it should be pretty remarkable. You got anything else you want to say? 
just like church today, I'm going to wrap a little early. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> this is my week for finishing early. I, don't, I, I finished yeah. about nine minutes early this morning at church, and I'm finishing about nine minutes early on this. That's so okay. I'm sure many of my most... Uh, faithful listeners who are my friends as well who will say good why don't you keep well, doing that well I will say that we might not be ending so early except we haven't gotten any listener mail in several weeks and we miss ah, it that's a good point we haven't heard from you lately and I I spoke to someone today and I said you know I'm sorry I probably embarrassed you by reading your mail but but all we wanted to do is commend you for your good critical thinking skills we want this to be a bible study we've said that over and over yeah. again and and for us, it, it, it is Bible study for us, but it feels more like a Bible study when there are other active participants. So yes. we, by reading your listener mail, and by all means, if you have something to share and you don't feel comfortable with us naming you on the air or mentioning you, please let us know that too. But it's, it's more meaningful for us and we think for you if you're hearing from people other than us because you hear from us for like an hour every week. Yeah. And we don't change our tune, which means that you're only getting our side of things. Here's a scary thought, <laughs> gentle listener. If you don't talk to us, we're going to assume you think we're right about everything. <laughs> and we know that's not true. <laughs> and we know that's not true. But we don't know that you know that. Now, I'm not inviting a bunch of criticism exactly, but, you know, join with us in this critical thinking process. I like arguing and good debate. And I guess that's better than arguing. Discussion. Yeah. I like debate and discussion, so please. And that's really what we're thoughts. doing. You know, um, but I appreciate some of the comments that I do hear from people just in passing. I really enjoyed your last week's podcast because... Um, you know, you've helped me read this in a different way because you reminded me, for example, that there are tenses mm -hmm. and you have to pay a close attention to mm -hmm. that because sometimes it's talking about things, but remember this, and th this is a good place to close. Remember that revelation is a book that comes with its own outline because Jesus commands John at the beginning of the book to write what was, what is, and what will be. Mm -hmm. And in every chapter, you get bits of what was, what is, and what will be. And so it's very important to never forget that this book is always about what is, what was, and what will be. Well, and I said it a lot back at the beginning of the Revelation podcasting, and I haven't said it in a while, but this book is brilliantly written. Mm-hmm. And you should pay attention to the words used and the literary style and the tenses because... It's brilliantly written and beautifully written, and things like the tense are, are the things that I enjoy the most when I'm reading it, because yep. it's clever. Yep. All right, my dear. I think we have given them enough for to the, today, and uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Remember that uh, this is an outreach ministry of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. Therefore, we'd be glad to have you join us at Shiloh. We're, you're welcome doesn't matter where you used to go to church. It doesn't matter. If, if you want to join us, just come on down. You can learn more about Shiloh and, and me at uh, shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And uh, you can also look us up on the Facebook group that's uh, tagged in the bottom of this description for this podcast. 
But uh, we'd like very much to hear from you. We'd like to see you in church somewhere. If not here, then somewhere. God has a place for you to be with the family of faith. And uh, we, we love you and we appreciate your listening very much. You honor us. Thank you.